Good morning. Welcome to everybody who's here at the church or if you're watching online. Uh, especially want to welcome the first-time guests if you're visiting uh, or maybe you're visiting for the second time you've come back. Welcome uh, to our church family. We are in this series called The Great Revealer. We've been in this for a few weeks now, uh, quite a few weeks, and we've been talking about what have we learned through this pandemic, through the past year or so. What has the pandemic revealed to us? You know, recently I was sitting with a group of pastors, and uh, we were just going around sharing about how ministry has been through all of this. And we shared different things, but one thing that I found in common was this idea that everybody felt, man, it's so clear that everybody is different and everybody's got a different opinion. One pastor shared, and I think this resonated with everybody, how it's kind of like when, whenever you want to address a topic or a particular issue from the pulpit, you, you share it, but then inevitably there's somebody who's upset with something you said. And then sometimes another issue comes up, and so you don't want to say anything so that you don't upset anybody, and then inevitably somebody is upset that you didn't say anything about it. And this, there's this feeling like, man, I can never be right. I'm always going to be wrong with someone. I get that. You guys remember on March 16th of this year, um, there was a gunman who went around in Atlanta to different spa houses, massage parlors, and he went on a shooting spree. I mean, that was news that rocked our nation, took the lives of eight people, and six of them were Asian American, and, and we addressed that from the pulpit because it, it was big news that week, and we felt like it was important to, to, to talk about that, and somebody had expressed grief that though racism was implied, that the word racist wasn't used. He says, you got to call it what it is, because to him, it was clearly a race issue. Someone else was expressing disappointment or grief that the racism was implied that the issue of sex addiction wasn't even mentioned. Like, how can you not even mention that? So, so to this person, it was a sex addiction issue. And then there were many voices that were raised about how, man, this is another reason why we need gun reform. This is a gun control issue. And a lot of people saw this as, as being just that. You know, this is an example of what I believe the, the year has revealed to us. I mean, it's always been true, but I think it's been uh, more clear to us that everyone is different and everyone has an opinion. And I want to say it's not bad to have an opinion. Opinions aren't bad. Having a perspective is not bad. But though, there, though there's many different opinions, at the same time, we're called as a church to grow in unity as a church. And so what I want to do is I want to turn you to Romans 14 today, and I want to look at how we can own opinions and yet pursue peace. I'm going to call this message Owning Opinions and Pursuing Peace. So turn with me to Romans 14. If you have your Bibles, open it up. If you have your apps or devices, turn to Romans 14. And before we start reading from it, I want to stop and I want to ask the Lord uh, to be our teacher this morning. So would you guys join me in prayer? God, we want to uh, pause before we go any further, and we want to acknowledge, God, you are the owner and the author and the teacher of your truth, and um, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would just illuminate understanding, turn the lights on for us so that we can uh, understand what may not make sense to us, either in our minds or in our lives. God, show us the meaning of your words Bring it to life. 
as, as we go through this, bring to, to life real examples and specific scenarios where we can be applying this, God. And ultimately, we pray that you build your church, that we would be a church that beautifully glorifies you on this earth and in this community uh, and to everybody who, who knows us, Lord. We pray that we would show them Jesus. So speak to us now, Lord. We want to give you this time. We give you our hearts and minds. Keep, keep the devil away. Keep distraction away and let us hear you. We pray this in Jesus' name. In one voice we all say, amen. 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 Romans chapter 14. In, in Paul's day, as he's writing to this first century Roman church, believe it or not, they had different opinions. Can you imagine that? They had different opinions on different issues. And so he starts this discussion in Romans chapter 14, verse 1, and he says this to them. He says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Circle that word welcome. And so he opens up with the word welcome, this command to welcome each other. And that idea is not necessarily, hey, welcome the stranger in, welcome the outsider in, which it could include that. But the idea really is to move toward each other. Right, so the NIV would use the word accept him. King James says receive one another. It's this movement toward each other within the church. So that's Romans 14.1. And then we go to Romans 15.7. Next chapter, but same discussion. And he says the same thing in Romans 15.7 to close off the discussion. He says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So here are the bookends. Romans 14.1, welcome one another. Romans 15.7, welcome one another. These are the bookends, meaning everything in between in this discussion is going to talk about how do we welcome one another. What does it look like to welcome? And so I want to show you two things as takeaways for us today, and I pray that you would take this to heart. Number one, would you write this down? And I, and I hope you're taking notes as well, but this is the first point. We can welcome each other by empathizing. We can welcome each other by empathizing. Let's go to the text. Romans 14, verses 1 through 2. 1 to 2 reads like this. Paul writes, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. You can pause right there. So right there is one of the major controversies in this First century Roman church. The argument over what you can eat or what you can't eat. What's clean and what's not clean. So it could be that there in the Roman church there's Jews who their whole life came under the Jewish ceremonial laws. Jewish dietary laws which would say that eating meat is unclean. And then there's Gentiles in the same church who didn't live under Jewish ceremonial laws. They ate meat their whole life. It's no problem to them. I've never had an issue. And for some, it was, it was just fine. It was clean. Or it could have been like the situation in the first century Corinthian church. right? Because in Corinth, there were these Gentile pagan worshipers, like idol worshipers, who turned from that life, found Christ... And back then, when they offered food to idols, they would offer meat at, at the altars to these gods. Afterward, they would take that meat and put it on the market so you could buy that meat, and then some people would eat it. And to those former idol worshipers, it's like, no, we're not going to eat that. Well, that was offered to gods. And then some other people are like, man, it's fine, totally fine to eat. And I get that. 
I get that. So my wife, uh, she's Taiwanese. And so when we got married, we, we started uh, taking trips to Taiwan. And one thing I learned that in Taiwan, a lot of people in Taiwan have these shelves or these altars in their houses or at their businesses. And there's incense. And they offer these plates of good, like, freshly cooked Taiwanese food and fruit and drinks. And they'll also have paper money, which they'll burn and they'll offer up. And what it is, basically, this is ancestor worship. And the idea is when you burn the incense and there's smoke, that's kind of like the bridge to the afterworld. It's the way to connect with your deceased ancestors. And so offering this food and burning this money is a way of sending it to your deceased ancestors. It's taking care of them in their afterlife. They're not, no longer in this world, they're in that world, and it's the job of the children and descendants to, to care for them, to honor them that way. Yes, yeah, so, so you see all this really good food. I love Taiwanese food, by the way. And after, you know, you offer it up, what do you do with it? How many of you guys would be perfectly fine just eating that food? Some of you. How many of you guys are like, nah, that's okay. I'll go ahead and uh, buy some food at the local shop. Like, that was just offered to dead people. Like, I, I'm good, right? Some of us are like, yeah, like, I, I wouldn't want to touch that. Well, for me, I'm like, free food? Give me the pork feet and the stinky tofu. I'll eat it for free. Like, it's free food. And so I would eat it. Some of you guys wouldn't. We just got different opinions. That's okay. And so here in the church, some people saw food, saw meat in particular as unclean or defiled for whatever reason. There's some reason behind it, but there's this disagreement. And Paul in this passage, he calls the ones who don't want to eat it, he calls them weaker in their faith. They're weaker. Now, I just want to make a clarification. When he talks about the strong and the weak, he's not talking about physical strength. And he's not talking about spiritual strength, as if you're more spiritual or less spiritual. When he's talking about the weaker one, I believe he's talking about conscience. Some of us, and, and this applies to all of us, all of us in here, we have a strong, clear conscience about certain things, and we probably have a weak and unclear conscience about other things. That's common within the church. For example, some Christians, you'll have a totally strong, clear conscience about having a glass of beer at dinner. And then some other Christians would not have a clear conscience if I were to be served a glass of beer at dinner. Different opinions. Some of you are perfectly fine wearing a mask. Totally clear conscience about that. Then some people don't feel good about wearing a mask. For whatever reason, maybe you feel like, you know, you're being told what to do. You're being, I don't know. You have your reason, but we have different opinions. Some of you felt perfectly great about getting a vaccine. Like, this is awesome. This is good for us as a community, as a nation. And then some people are like, don't get that needle near me. Not because it hurts, but because of the principle. I, I don't feel good, and I don't have a clear conscience about getting a vaccine. And you have your reason for that. And so we all have different levels of, of, of comfort. We have a different conscience. We have different opinions regarding different issues. And Paul's saying, welcome each other. Welcome each other, which means don't quarrel over opinions. To welcome is not to quarrel. 
To quarrel is to divide and to move further away from each other. And he's teaching us to welcome those even with different opinions. Now, I love that word that he uses, opinions, because when you look at that word, there's, there's implied in there. In fact, a translation could be reasoning. We all have a reasoning. And I love that understanding because you don't just happen to have your opinion, I happen to have mine. As if you were born with this opinion and I was born with this. No, the, the fact is there's some inner reasoning that causes us to arrive at certain conclusions or have certain opinions. In other words, there's often a story behind why you hold that opinion. There's a story behind it. So in college, I went to UCI and I had a, a roommate in, in the apartments and uh, I love this guy. He has an incredible testimony, He's a very godly man. And he, he has a great testimony where the Lord turned his life around. Uh, he found Jesus, and he started walking with Christ. And though he was like a year younger than me, I, I looked up to him in a lot of ways because of his passion for Jesus, because of his knowledge of the scriptures, his fire for God. And so I looked up to him. And so one, one day I come back from class, I come to the apartment, and he's furious like, he is steaming mad. He's upset. And I found out why. And he just vented and he just unloaded on me. And basically, he was upset because there were a group of Christians from our campus ministry, Christian leaders of our ministry, who were making plans to go hang out in Las Vegas. And he was like, how could Christians, not just Christians, but Christians, Christian leaders go hang out in Sin City? And he's like, this is wrong. So he wasn't just like disappointed and let down. No, he's like furious. There should not be hanging out and there should not be Christian fellowship in Las Vegas. And I'm trying to calm him down. I'm trying to reason with him. And he wasn't having it. He just could not get over this. And I couldn't understand why he was that upset. I mean, he was upset. Well, as we started talking through that evening, it came out. And what I learned is that before he became a Christian, he was the complete opposite. I mean, he was in the world. He was, he was smoking, and he was smoking out. He was getting drunk. He was hanging out with girls at these parties. And Vegas was often his scene. And all of a sudden, it makes a lot of sense to me. That's something he had to crucify. He had to, he had to leave that life to follow Jesus. And for him, I don't have to share his opinion. I don't have to. But now I understand your story. I empathize with it. I see where you're coming from. To him, he's come with, to this reasoning, this opinion that nothing good comes out of Vegas. I've been there. I've seen it. Nothing good comes out of Vegas. I see where you're coming from. I, I shared that story with you just a moment ago about the Atlanta shootings. And somebody I know saw that as an issue of racist hate. They saw the event as a racist hate crime. Who's that person? That person was an Asian American who has been affected by the rise of anti-Asian violence. If we listen, we can see where he's coming from. I know somebody who saw the event as an issue of sex addiction and who's passionate about hitting the issue of sex addiction head on. She has seen firsthand the destructiveness of sex addiction and the lives of people she personally loves. She's seen it destroy families. Church, can we hear her heart? 
see where she's coming from. I'm sure there's many people among those who raise their voices about seeing this as a gun control issue. We have to have gun laws in place. I'm sure among them there are some who have had people in their lives whom they love, who they personally know, who have lost lives because of gun violence. Would you take the time to empathize with that? And so here in the Roman church, there were strong opinions, even extreme opinions about the eating of meat. And these opinions weren't something they were just born with. They come from somewhere. And it's probably because they came from a religious experience. These opinions were formed and rooted in a life of religion before they found Christ. And so when you find Christ, things from our past don't just disappear. As much as we'd like them to, they don't just get uprooted. And so there's a story, a reason behind why they think the way they think. And what Romans 14 teaches us is that as the family of God, we may have extreme opinions. But we must work extremely hard to understand each other, to hear each other's story, to learn to empathize with each other. And so if a person requests the wearing of masks or refuses the wearing of masks, might there be a reason behind that? Maybe it's due to PTSD or health concerns, health issues, maybe a traumatic upbringing that affects their refusal or their insistence on wearing a mask. If a person chooses not to get the vaccine like you did, could there be a story behind that? Could there be a reason for their decision? And so out of love, will we care to understand their reason to hear their story and empathize with them instead of canceling each other out because they hold a different opinion? Might we move toward them to understand why they hold that opinion? And so that's the first thing we can do. We can welcome each other, move toward each other by empathizing. Here's the second thing I'd love for you to write down. Let's take this away. We can welcome each other by harmonizing. We can welcome each other both by empathizing, but also by harmonizing. And I say that, I love this prayer that Paul prays in this discussion. I want to turn you to Romans 15. So flip to Romans 15, verse 5 and 7. Same discussion, different chapter. But he, he closes with this. He says in verse 5 through 7, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Would you circle that word harmony? He's praying for harmony. That we would live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. That together you may with one voice glorify God, the Father and the Lord and our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I love that picture, uh, that prayer for harmony. I want to show you something. I learned, I learned some music this week. I'm not a music guy, but uh, I, got a, I got a quick music lesson. I, I learned that in music, there's different notes, right? And every note makes a different sound. So, for example, this is a C. That's a C right there. And then here's another note. This is a E, okay? And then another note is a G. And so all these notes are different. They make different sounds, but 
you can actually play them together and they can be played in harmony. This is, this is a chord. When, when it's played together in harmony, it, it forms a chord. And so this is the C chord. And, and a chord, when played in harmony, is so much fuller, it's richer, it's more beautiful than if you were just to play a single note. I love that because if this entire keyboard was just one note, how lame would that be? If, if, if this sounded like this, and that key sounded like this, and this 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 key sounded like this, it wouldn't make any beautiful music. It would be unglorious. It would bleh. Right? It'd be so boring. And yet, they could be different and make something beautiful and glorious. I love that because Paul's saying, God, may we just live in harmony. Which I believe is implying that we're going to be different, but we can exist and still glorify God as one voice. He's not saying that everybody has to be the same note. Everybody has to have the same opinion. Everybody has to believe that meat is unclean. Or he's not saying everybody has to believe that meat is clean. No, he's not saying play the same note, be the same person, have the same opinion. He's saying that though we could be different in opinions, we could still have one mindset, one voice to glorify God as one body, as one family, as one kingdom under one God. And so the question is, how do we do that? How do we be different and yet exist in harmony for the glory of God? Let me give you two one another's. And this is cool because, you know, in the Bible, we have all these one another commands, and usually they're in the positive to bring a positive result. Love one another, encourage one another, be patient with one another. I want to give you two negatives that produce the same result, that bring us close together. So two negatives. Here's, here's the first one. Write this down. Do not judge one another. Do not judge one another. So we go on in Romans 14, and this is 3 and 4, the next two verses. It says this. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. He's welcomed both of them. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So I love that Paul is not taking sides. He's talking to both parties, both groups. Don't despise the one who doesn't eat meat and don't pass judgment on the one who does eat meat. He's calling them both out. He says, don't judge each other. Don't pass judgment on each other. You're the church. Which is very interesting, right? Because isn't Paul the same guy who says in 1 Corinthians 5 that the church should judge each other? He's that guy. I'll show you. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. He wrote this to the church. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? And if you read the passage, he's saying that. He's saying the church, we're to judge each other in love. So let me try to bring clarity to that. What does he mean? Well, let me point out that according to the Bible, judging is not entirely wrong. It's not bad necessarily to judge. So I'm going to put up a definition. What does it mean to judge? Well, to judge is to make a determination based on an agreed set of standards. We're just holding each other 
accountable to a certain set of standards. So, for example, a few years ago, I was driving, and on this particular day, it never happens, but on this day, I went over the speed limit, right? I, 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 I broke the speed limit, and sure enough, of course, there's a police officer who sees it, pulls me over, slaps me a ticket. And I'm like, oh, man, I have to pay this ticket. And I knew in my heart I was going a little fast, right? And so I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm going to fight this ticket. I'm going to fight this ticket because I heard sometimes you can get away with it. And so, so I set up the court date, and I was, was going to plan to show up that morning to try to get off the hook. But I wasn't going to try to prove myself innocent because I knew I was guilty. But I was praying that the officer wouldn't show up. Because I heard sometimes if the, the officer doesn't show up, no one's there to fight your case so you can get off the hook. So, like, so I set my court date and I'm praying, God, God, please don't let him show up. Like pop his tires or something. Like give him a flat. Don't let him show up. And so I get to court early that morning. And guess what? He shows up. Yeah, he's there bright and early to fight the case. And so I'm like, oh, I'm dead. And so we presented before the judge. And the judge, sure enough, says, you're guilty. You got to pay the fine, pay the ticket, right? But imagine I'm there and she says that I'm, I'm held accountable for breaking the speed limit, for breaking the law, and I stand there and go, well, don't judge me. Like, don't judge me. Like, I'm not going to do that. Why? She has every right to. Not just because she's a judge, but she's holding me accountable to the governing laws, the, the agreed set of standards, the, the laws of the state of California. There's a speed limit. I broke it, and she's bringing me back in line with the law. That's not a bad thing. I think all of us are thankful that there's a judge who can hold us accountable to laws. For those of us who come under the the laws of the Lord our God, who, who we, we come under the governing laws of, of his kingdom. It's our job, it's our obligation out of love, in love, to hold each other accountable to his standards. That's how we can lovingly judge each other within the church, not to come down on each other without grace, but to gently point each other to the standards. So listen, if the Bible says love your neighbor as yourself, but I see you hating on your neighbor and gossiping and talking trash about your neighbor, it's on me to call you out on that. It's my responsibility to show you Mark 12, 31, love your neighbor as yourself. Don't say those things. If you see me being lazy and leeching off everybody in the church and I'm not going to work, but I'm going to freeload and collect money from everybody for my own benefit, I hope you call me out on that. I hope you point to me 2 Thessalonians 3 that says that we shouldn't be idle. We should work for our bread. If you have a friend who's being sexually immoral, if you know a friend sleeping with his girlfriend or, or her boyfriend, I pray that you would hold them up to the scripture, show them 1 Corinthians 6, 18, and hold them accountable to God's standards. Say, hey, let's come under our God, our Father, our King. And in love and in grace, let's show them how we ought to live. That's our obligation to each other. So as a church, we are to judge each other in that way. But what does Paul mean in Romans 14 when he says, don't pass judgment on each other? What does he mean, don't pass judgment on each other? Well, 
He's talking about when we try to judge each other, not according to God's standards, but when we start trying to judge each other based on my standard, our own standards, our own opinions. Right? Because remember, in this discussion, we have to be very clear about this in Romans 14, this is about opinions. This is about disputable matters, great issues. There are times in the Bible, the Bible is black and white on many things, essential doctrines. And those things isn't a matter of opinion. Those things are very clear. And so we help hold each other to those essential doctrines. But when it comes to gray areas, things that aren't clearly explicitly stated, then he's saying don't pass judgment. Don't judge people based on your opinions and standards. To judge righteously is to hold each other to this. To judge self-righteously is to hold you to the standards I've set up for myself. So, like, we got to visit Taiwan, and we took a trip there. And uh, it was just a family trip, but we were going to see some old friends that we met in Taiwan who helped us with previous Taiwan mission trips. They were native to Taiwan, and uh, they helped with our English camp. And so we made a set a date to meet at a restaurant. And when we got in, I saw them from afar, and one of our helpers, her name was Alice. And I was so excited to see Alice. I was excited to see them all. And so I go, I was like, hey. And I wanted to give him a big South Bay hug. So I go up to Alice, hey, Alice, how are you doing? And I give her a big hug, and she's like a popsicle stick. She's like, she's not reciprocating. She's not having it. I'm like, hey. And I just feel so creepy because I'm trying to hug her, and she's not having it. So I'm like, okay. And I found out later that in Taiwan that guys and girls don't greet each other with big hugs. That's not what they typically do. And so I just felt so weird. And so, so I told myself from, from then on, when I go to Asia, don't go hugging people. Like, don't go hugging people. If they want to hug you, that's fine. Take it. But then don't, don't impose yourself on them. So a couple years later, we go to Japan. And I, I'm ready. I'm like, okay, go, don't, don't hug people, Greg. Don't be creepy, right? And so, so you know, here, like here at our church, even in Southern California, when you greet people for the guys, we got that cool handshake, bring it in, give me a hug, handshake hug kind of thing, right? We, we do that. And so, so I go to Japan, we see some of the guys at some of the churches that we've built relationships with, and I'm not going to go hug them, but I want to go in for a handshake. I said, what's up, man? Good to see you. And they're not having it. They're, they're bound. I guess we're bound to each other, right? So I'm like, yeah, all right. Like, like it was awkward. I'm like, man, nobody wants to touch me, right? And so, so here I am. And by the way, in Japan, I learned other stuff that's just weird. Like when you go to a restaurant and you're eating with your friends, the way they eat ramen, have you, have you seen them eat ramen? <laughs> like they're, they're so rude, right? They're like just, just making all this noise and slurping the ramen. Well, I, I learned that it's not rude in Japan it's actually showing that they're really enjoying their food. They're appreciating it. In fact, it's showing honor to their host. I'm enjoying this food you made me, so let me let you know. <laughs> right? So weird. Another trip during my sabbatical, we went to a country, and I just couldn't get over it. This is weird, where we'd be on like a public train, and I noticed that everybody in the country just stares at you. They just stare, right? So like... Like, I'm sitting there on train, and I look, and, like, there's this guy just staring at me. And I'm like, okay. You know, like, in America, I'm, I pull up to an intersection, and I'm looking at the person in the car next to me, and then they, when they look at you, what do you do? Uh, uh, like, no, I wasn't looking at you, right? I'm not, I'm not rude, right? In, in that country, I'm staring, like, this guy's staring at me, right? 
He's staring. I feel. I look at him. Guess what he does? He keeps staring at me. Then what do I do? Oh, that's weird, right? Like I'm like, it's just weird to make eye contact for us here in America. So, so like I go to all these countries and, and I'm thinking, what's wrong with the people of this world? Why are the people in this world so weird? And I find myself judging these non-Americans for not acting American, which is ironic because we weren't in America. They weren't in my land. I was in theirs. And yet I'm getting mad at them for it. You see the irony in that? And so Paul's condemning this kind of judgment where we judge each other and hold each other to our standards, how I think, to my opinion. So we bring this back to the church. So if there's somebody in this church who's not like you, maybe you believe your kids should be in public school because kids shouldn't be sheltered. Don't go judging the person who decides to homeschool their kids. If you don't like wearing a mask, don't despise the one who does. Don't go calling them names. Don't go calling them sheep because they want to wear a mask. God doesn't forbid it. If, if you're a Republican, don't judge and despise your brother or sister who's a Democrat. If you're a Democrat, don't judge and despise your brother who's a Republican. Now, if there's a certain issue that's being voted on and you believe it violates the standards of God, then lovingly and grace show them how you believe it falls short or upholds what the Word of God says if it's a black and white issue. Otherwise, don't judge them. Hold them to God's standards, not the Republican standards or the Democrat standards. Judge them in love, in Christ, according to God's standards. And that's how we can harmonize with one another. Okay, so that's the first one. Do not judge one another. Here's, here's the second one, last thing I want to share with you today. Another do not. Do not stumble one another. Would you guys write that down? Do not stumble one another. Let's go back to Romans 14. I want to show you verses 13 to 15, and it says this. It says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded, now this is his opinion, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. That's their opinion. For if your brother is greed by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. And so listen, you're free to have your opinions. You can own your own opinions. That's okay. But to live out your opinions in the face of those who may not agree with you, just to rub it in their face, that is no longer walking in love. So Paul's saying, if you're okay with eating meat, he's saying, that's okay, I agree with you. But if you eat meat in front of the person who considers meat a sin and you stumble them, you're no longer walking in love. You're not walking in selflessness, you're walking in selfishness. You're not loving your neighbor as yourself, you're loving yourself, period. That's not walking in love. So eating that meat in this discussion, eating that meat may not be a sin, but you eating that meat in front of that person on purpose is because you've decided to stumble that brother or that sister. At my former church, 
uh, we had a uh, Chinese congregation and we had an English congregation. I was part of the English congregation. And um, we were a lot more casual. You know, we, we, we dressed down, but the Chinese congregation dressed up. And so their Sunday's best. The guys wore suit and tie. Uh, the, the, the ladies wore dresses and they sang hymns. And that was their form of worship. To them, that was reverent. I, I give my best to the Lord. For us, we were a little bit more casual, and so we, we had certain guest speakers, and the Chinese congregation invited one of our, our, our favorite guest speakers to speak for their Sunday morning service, and we we're happy about that. That's cool. They're going to see how good of a Bible teacher he is, how, how, how clear he makes the scriptures, and so they invited him, and he agreed to it, and then they gave him what to expect. Like, this is the kind of music we, we play. This is how you should dress, come with a suit and tie, and he was not having it. He was a t-shirt kind of guy. He was a t-shirt and jeans or a t-shirt and short kind of guy. And he's like, man, you're not any more spiritual or holy if you wear a tie or if you don't wear a tie. Right? We're saved by grace. It's because of faith we're saved. We're all, we're, we're all available to, to worship and know Jesus. And so that, that was his whole theology. And I, I agree with that. So he comes that Sunday morning to the Chinese congregation to preach in a t-shirt. To make a point, he came to preach in a t-shirt. Now, to his credit, he tucked it in, so that was kind of nice, but, but he still gave it a t-shirt and, and no suit or tie, and, and that broke my heart because he's such a good teacher, and as good as his teaching could have been that morning, I'm not sure it brought most glory to God. I'm not sure he came in love, and I'm not sure Everybody was able to hear him. Living in love and harmony doesn't mean changing your opinion. You can own your opinion, but it may mean making a decision to glorify God by being one voice. Being one with the body so that we can bring him glory. And sometimes making that decision to be one with the body may involve you making a sacrifice. It may mean laying down your liberty so that you can live out love. It may mean laying down your rights so that you can build up the body. So what sacrifice might you have to make? Romans 14, 17 to 19. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. It says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of what? Of righteousness and peace. And join the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. What you do is going to be acceptable to God and approved by men. So verse 19, and I want you to underline this whole verse. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Let us pursue peace and mutual upbuilding. So this is the stand, this is the, the objective, this is the goal of God's kingdom that we should live in righteousness with each other, in peace, and experience joy in the spirit. And so Paul's teaching the church that when it comes down to us having different opinions, there's differences among us, then how should we respond to those differences? Go the higher way of love. Don't, 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 don't get off the off-ramp. Don't leave. Go the highway of love. Pursue peace. 
Build a body. Make those sacrifices. Don't distance, don't destroy, don't divide. And so on the issue of eating meat, I, I love this because he, he makes clear where he stands. Right? He told us in verse 14, he had an opinion. He said, I don't think anything's unclean to eat. Right? He's like, if you want to eat meat to me, I'm okay with that. And yet, that's his conviction, but I love his conclusion. And his conclusion, he shows us in 1 Corinthians 8 in a different book, but same discussion. 1 Corinthians 8, 12 and 13, here's what he said about it. Knowing that he loves me, he says, Thus, sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Right? Because when you sin against a brother or sister, you sin against Christ's body. You're sinning against Christ's body. You're sinning against Christ. That's his body. That's, that's Christ the head. So he says in verse 13, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble, lest I make him sin. I'm going the higher way of love. I'll lay down my liberty. So at my previous church, we used to play this game called Mafia. Some of the young people, you know Mafia is. Uh, we used to play it at every retreat and every fellowship. We'd play Mafia. And, and the way you play is you get in a circle, and one or two people are designated as the Mafia. But nobody knows. It's a secret. And the purpose of the game is you want to kill everybody off and vote everybody out by trying to get everybody to vote for somebody. And so obviously if you're Mafia, you want to be the last man standing. And therefore, you got to lie and tell people you're not mafia and side with them so we can vote everybody else off. And so we're playing this one night. We had a college young adult fellowship, about 15 to 20 of us in the circle. And the mafia was one of our leaders. He was like the elder of our church. And he was like our pastor to us. But he was mafia. Nobody knew it. And we play this, this game of mafia. And he single-handedly killed everybody off in that circle. Like, he deceived and he lied to everybody and he killed everybody. He was the last man standing. And I, to me, that was an amazing game of mafia. Like, how did you do that? You were such a good actor. Like, you had us all fooled. That was very impressive. And some of us were like, man, that, bravo, well done. But there were some people in that circle that night who were seriously troubled. They're like, how did our leader lie to us so well they're like he was so deceptive and i kid you not we had to pray after that game like no joke we prayed that the lord would would protect us from the enemy and he would keep us together and I, this is no joke some people start crying because they were so troubled and so that night and i hated this but we made a collective decision as a group, we would never play Mafia again. Seriously, we, may, we would never play Mafia again as, as a fellowship because some people saw it as something that was encouraging us and training us to lie to one another. Like, to me, it's just a game. It's just Mafia. Stop being weak, right? Like, it's just a game. But to them, it's like, no, this is troubling. And so in love, we had to agree, like, this is what we're going to do to not stumble one another and to pursue peace. And so we never played it again as a group. My question to you is, what sacrifices will you need to make to pursue peace? What rights will you lay down to build others up? 
Maybe you enjoy a glass of craft beer at dinner. That's your thing. But there's going to be someone at the table you know who has stumbled by alcohol for whatever reason. Might you make the sacrifice and not drink that craft beer? And I'm not saying downgrade, oh, fine, I'll drink Bud Light. No, I'm not. Like, might you drink a Coke instead or, or water for the love of that brother or sister? Because that's love. See, you can stubbornly leave a church because they, they wear masks, or maybe you can pursue your brothers and sisters by empathizing with them, knowing that some wouldn't otherwise come. That's love. You might love to spew out your thoughts about a certain political candidate or a certain party because that fires you up whenever you get to talk about that stuff or might you consider refraining from bringing that to life group knowing that someone in your group might be stumbled by what you say and how you say it because that would be love. You can hold your opinions, church. You can own opinions, but how will you pursue peace? And when we empathize with one another, and when we harmonize with different notes, when we welcome each other and accept each other, what are we doing? We are pursuing each other in love. Not moving away, but moving toward. And so I opened this message with the bookends. I showed you Romans 14.1. And it says, and as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. And then I showed you the back end, Romans 15. Verse 7, it says, therefore, welcome one another. We have welcome one another, welcome one another. Ultimately, why? Why should we work so hard to welcome one another? The one who is so different from you, why should we work so hard at this? I'll show you why. You ready for this? This is why. Boom. Because God has welcomed him. And Christ has welcomed you. You want to talk about differences? You want to talk about differences? God is perfect. I'm quite the opposite. Christ is holy and perfect and pure. You, not so much. Sorry to break that to you. God is God and we are not. Jesus was a Jew. Most of us in here are Gentiles. If there was anyone different from God Almighty... If there's anyone who didn't look anything like Christ in his righteousness, it's me and it's you, it's us. And yet while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. While we were enemies, he pursued us. He left heaven to come to earth to die on that cross so that we would be at peace, that he would pursue peace. We would be reconciled with God Almighty. And so God has welcomed you. He's welcomed you and the person who is very far from you. And he's welcomed you and the person who is very opposite from you. And he's accepted us out of his infinite love. And he's received us into his kingdom. So church, therefore, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Jesus Christ, our Prince of Peace, you showed us what that looks like, to to move toward those who are so different from you in very nature. So God, I pray that we would reflect Christ. Now, now, Now that we're your body, we pray that we would reflect the head. 
And God, we celebrate. We actually celebrate how different we are. Thank you so much that we don't all look exactly alike. But Lord, help us to live in harmony. To learn to empathize and listen to each other's story. To learn to exist together for the glory of Christ. And so God, we, we just thank you. That they're in, in, in your kingdom. There's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. And that one deserves you more than the other. But by grace, you've welcomed us in. Thank you, God. So it's with one voice we celebrate. It's with one voice we lift our, our, our voices together. We use every breath in our lung to worship you and praise you. That's what we want to do now. And so it's in Jesus' name we praise. Amen.